was the Smiths, as if it could be anybody else. And that was a track called Shoplifters of the World Unite, because I was feeling seasonal and um, thinking about Christmas. From the album, The World Won't Listen. Hello and welcome. As I said, this is David Eastall. Well, it was the last time I checked, and this is the C86 show. And once again, we're going to be rocking and rolling as I spin the wheels of steel for the finest in indie pop from the golden decade. That was the 80s and sometimes other decades as well. Anyway, I'm glad to be here. Well, quite frankly, I'm glad to be anywhere. And this week, as always, we like a special guest. And again, I've pulled it out of the bag. This is um, with Brick. Smith, who was a one-time member of The Fall, also part of the Adult Net, and now has a solo career 
as bricks and the extricated. So I'll be bringing that interview in four easy-to-digest little segments throughout the show alongside the usual award-worthy playlist. And because we're feeling particularly biased towards Bricksmith because of obvious reasons, I thought we should start with that little classic that we all grew to love back in the day. This is when she was with Adult Net and the track called Stars Say Go. Oh, baby. 
exist. Dead Mama says, won't you please give me some Yes, always guaranteed to get the party started. Started. That is the fall on the track called, well, kind of predictably, uh, Mr. Pharmacist, and that was from the album Ben Sinister. And for those who are sort of um, in need of more uh, material by the fall, the Cherry Red Records has just released a singles box set collection, which only features, only he says, that's been sarcastic, seven CDs and uh, a lot of very interesting other bits and pieces, like sleeve notes and um, all that kind of groovy stuff. And uh, so, yes, check that out. That's the fall in the um, singles box set. And before that, we had the adult net with a track called Star Say Go, which featured the one and only Brick Smith, who is our special guest this week, because I managed to catch up with her a few weeks ago. It was around the time that um, they were playing in Norwich with with uh, Mary and the Mary and the um, Jesus and the Mary chain. My God, I should get that right, shouldn't I? Anyway, I caught up with her and uh, found out more about life, love, and poetry and all that groovy stuff. So I'll be bringing that interview in four easy to digest little sex, uh, segments throughout the show. But to keep the party rolling, I thought we should play something from Manchester just for the change. This is Joy Division and the track called Transmission. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yes, it does um, end rather abruptly. But anyway, I was there prepared. That was Bricks and the Extricated and track called Damned for Eternity that came out as a single. And before that, we had the, yes, unmistakable sound of Joy Division. That was a track called Transmission. And that was on a compilation or is on a compilation that's only just come out. In fact, it's uh, scheduled for the 1st of December. And this is a compilation five CD box set titled... He says, looking at his notes, to the outside of everything. And it's a a bit of a post-punk collection of lots of exciting bands, including, obviously, Joy Division. Then there's Peel, Wire, Gang of Four, The Slits, Killing Joke, Echo and the Bunnymen, The Pop Group, Human League, The Fall, and much, much more. So, yes, and that's also got a very exciting 48-page booklet. So uh, do check that out. That is also on the Cherry Red record label. And obviously they are very good with their uh, compilations. And that also goes out to my good friends David and Rachel, who might be listening to this all the way on the other side of the world in Australia. But anyway, this goes out to you. And um, like I said... This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show, and as I uh, might have mentioned, and if you were paying attention at the beginning of the programme, this is a Brick Smith special because I caught up with her recently. So I'll be bringing you that interview very soon because it's in um, five easy-to-digest little segments. But as I'm keeping the party rolling, I think we should have something else from that golden decade that was the 80s. This is The Nivens, and this is a track called Yesterday.
The Cure and the track called In Between Days, and that was from Head on the Door, the album. All the best of, if you're a really keen fan. And before that, we had the Nivens and the track called Yesterday, and that was um, also on a compilation that came out recently called the C88 Collection, which was a triple CD pack, um, box set that came out on, yes, you guessed it, Cherry Red Records. And that was the Nivens who weren't from Norwich, but from another part of the country, which I do think is a little bit confusing, actually, having two indie bands at the same time coming out and uh, making, I suppose, slightly um, similar sounds. But anyway, that was not the band from Norwich. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. Um, always bringing you the finest in, in indie pop. And we always love your messages. And if you want to contact me, you can via Twitter or Facebook. Go to at C86show and I'll be there. But as I can see the time is um, literally racing away from me, I think I'll play one more track from Bricks and The Extricated and then the first part of the interview, which I have to say is rather exciting. So stay tuned. This is Bricks and the track called Moonrise Kingdom.
And that was Bricks and the Extricator in the track called Moonrise Kingdom. This is David Eastall, The C86 Show, and I'm going to play you the first part of my interview with Bricks, who I caught up with recently, where I ask her about getting started in music all over again after having quite a break. And this is the feature, or the interview. So the last thing I ever thought I'd be doing would be playing music again. I thought that was all done for me. And um, a, a really weird thing happened. Um, I, I wrote a book. Steve Hanley wrote a book as well called The Big Mid- Midweek. And he was, you know, the bass player in the fall for 20 yeah. years and, you know, has been described as the sound of the fall, whatever. And he's just amazing. He wrote this book. And at the same time, I was writing a book. But his was finished first. Mm. And they sent me a proof. And I... Um, had, had a read of it, and then they invited me to his book launch. And about that same time, when I was writing my book, something happened personally for me. Three people that I was very close to in my life, or that, that I respected, said to me in the space of a very short time, like a couple weeks, you know, why don't you pick up a guitar again? You really ought to play guitar or maybe write again. You know, it's kind of criminal. You're not doing it. And one of those people was Andrew Weatherall, the DJ and producer. Mm. Another one was Craig Leon, the producer, who did like Blondie and the Ramones. Another one was my current husband. And I thought, God, if these three guys are telling me to do this, maybe I should. So I picked up a guitar in secret, never told anyone, played it in my bedroom in front of my dogs, but it was the act of physically writing my book that seemed to open the creative channel for me. I can't tell you how or why, but for some reason, writing the book seemed to unblock something that had been blocked or broken for years. Right. So secretly, I started writing, and I some and I knew I knew it felt really good. It was like when I f- had first started, it was like you got goosebumps when you'd write the song, and you you knew it, you were onto something. Yes. At the same time, Steve Hanley's book was launched. And I hadn't seen any of those guys for 18 years. So I went up there to Manchester, and I went to the book launch. And at the book launch, randomly, Steve Hanley and Paul Hanley had put together a band of some guys that had played in the fall and some other random people like the, the uh, journalist John Robb, who, who's also a musician, yes. um, you know, membranes and gold blade and everything. And they put together this band, and they did a couple, like, cover versions that The Fall had covered, like Mr. Pharmacist, and some other songs, and they put together this band. And as I was sitting there watching this band, and while they were playing Mr. Pharmacist, something completely unexpected happened to me. I felt like this visceral lightning bolt shoot through my body of desire that nearly forced me up and over to the stage to shove the guitar player over and grab the instrument from his hands and play the guitar. Wow. It was like I was almost overcome. It was bizarre. <laughs> and, I, and afterwards I said to Steve, hey, why didn't you ask me to play? And he said, we thought you were done with all that. We thought you'd never do it. You know, right. we never even thought to ask you. Um, and I said, well, guess what? I'm secretly playing again. And, um, and it feels really good. And he said, well, why don't we just get together for fun and, like, just jam a little bit? And I was like, okay, let's see what happens, you know, just for fun. This was a hobby. Yes. So we got together. We, 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 we made it. We made it happen, like, within two months. It was really weird. You know, someone I hadn't seen for 18 years. We got together. We started playing. I think maybe the first song we played together was U.S. 80s, 90s. Right. And, um... We just looked at each other, and again, both of us had goosebumps, and we go, oh, my God, there's something here. And 
pretty soon it was like almost like a divine intent. I have no idea how this all happened, but it just seemed to flow. Um, Steve said, well, like, let's just put together a band and I'll, like, we can get my brother Paul to play drums and like, let's get Steve Trafford. He was in the fall for Heads Will Roll. And then let's get Jason Brown. He's an amazing guitarist, you know. So, and, and I was like, all right. And so we put together this band still for fun, never intending anything to happen other than to have fun. Yes. Played together in one rehearsal. We just looked at each other and we were just like, oh my effing God, there is something seriously good here. There is some chemistry that you just don't feel. So then, weirdly, a promoter got wind that we were messing around and offered us a gig anytime we wanted at the Ruby Lounge in Manchester. And we were like, oh, what the hell? Let's go for it. So at that point, we were, we were just doing fall songs that we had written. So say, like, I wrote L.A., so we do L.A. Steve wrote Totally Wired, so we do Totally Wired. Steve Trafford wrote, you know. So yeah. we, we just, so we, but we were reinterpreting them as songwriters in a different way, obviously with me now as the singer, which is going to be completely dip, different than Marky Smith, who could ever, you know, <laughs> compete with Marky Smith or anything, and why would you want to? But I just did it in my own way. Yes. And, um... And then pretty, and then basically, uh, and I think we did a couple new songs that I had written at that point. And then um, by the time we got off stage, we were often offered seven more shows. And that was my first part of the interview with Brick Smith. Another three to go. But anyway, we are a little bit tight on time. So here is the monochrome set. Infatuate, emphatically Your dreary, your base, stereo face is weary for me I'm ever since so eloquent and curiously I entertain your tiny brain so spuriously The monochrome set, monochrome set, monochrome set The monochrome set, monochrome set, monochrome set I'm charming, dear, disarming, dear, alarming to see you're funny, you're dead, honey, but you're always money to me. My rhetoric's so magnetic, aesthetically. I'll nominate you to abominate and dissipate me. The monochrome set, monochrome set, monochrome set. The monochrome set, monochrome set, monochrome set. Set, all of them 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 set, all of
You probably guessed that one. That was the monochrome set, and I have also um, caught up with the lead singer of that band recently. So I'll be bringing you a special on them, and they're also going to be coming to Norwich on the second of March at Epic Studio. So check it out. Anyway, David Eastall, C eighty six show. My second part of the interview with Brick Smith, where we talk about the fall and the classic lineup during the eighties. Take it away, Brick. You know, there's been a few different incarnations of the fall, but I mean, the general consensus is. Um, and there's, there has been lots of debate, but that was a particularly brilliant one. Yes. You know, that was amazing. I mean, Curious Orange was definitely an artistic high point for me yeah. uh, in terms of a songwriter and a performer. Um, but it, it personally, it was a horrific low point because in my personal life, everything was falling apart. Isn't that weird how the creative life is so spectacular <laughs> and the personal life is just like a broken, shattered mess? I mean, it's so typical for so many people, you know. <laughs> yes, this is true. Because actually, I just interviewed um, Fast Eddie Clark from Motorhead, who was talking about that, oh, yeah. that period. And, was he? And, again, and again, it was like they had that five years where they didn't realise at the time what they were creating, but no. but they were sort of, you know, a, a track like um, Ace of Spades or Bomb. Oh, my good God almighty. I still use that as a reference. Uh, yeah, especially when you were working out at the gym, I guess. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, today I worked out at home. I have this system called TRX. Yes. <laughs> you know what that is. Um, but yeah. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, I love TRX. It's really great. So I've got, I do it at the gym and I have it at home, which yes. is brilliant because you can take it on tour or you can do it anywhere. But oh my God, Ace of Spades. I love Motorhead. Like I Motorhead know. Girls School was like one of the best double builds ever. Absolutely. That I never saw. I wish. I was too young, but yeah. But again, it was that, that, that sort of creative period, which normally lasts for most bands five years before it goes terribly lopsided to put it yeah you know it's weird um it's weird when you're talking about creative output because everything goes in cycles and and, any kind of artist and also uh, uh, to some extent sports people as well realize that you have these incredibly fertile periods that is just like one thing follows the next and it's almost like you don't even you know you have to hone your skills but when it's flowing it really is flowing you know and it's almost like its own momentum carries it through i mean that's how i judge what's working in my life you know for anything is is when something is so 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 easy that it flows and it's almost effortless that 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 feels right to me. And when it's so difficult and you try about 15 different ways to break through and you can't, that's when you have to change tact and look at it from a different point of view, you know, and go at something from a different angle or drop it all together, let it go and move on to something else. Yeah, absolutely. Because cause it was... Um... It was interesting what you were saying about making music now and being fun because cause I've been doing a lot of interviews with the bands because the show's called the C86 show. So it was like all the indie bands in that period. And, and there was this kind of a five-year cycle. You know, bands got together. They did the first single. They did a John Peel show. They did the album tour and then possibly a second album and then it all just explodes. So in a way, a lot of those bands now have started to come back. And I think they're all sort of doing it very tentatively. They're thinking, look, I'm only going to do it if it's fun. Well... When- you, you know, with a lot of these bands, and certainly with ours, it, what comes into play is a band dynamic, okay? Yes. So in, in order to be in a band, it's really, 
it's very, very psychological. And you need to be, you know, these are not people that you're married to. You do not choose them as your life partners, right? But you are at the same, you're sometimes with them more than you're with your life partner. And you're thrown into very stressful and exhausting and tension-filled situations with these people. And certainly that's why they say touring America can break you. So the band dynamic is something that you need to be empathetic with. And you need to understand that every member of the group, for the most part, I mean, first of all, in in The Extricated, we now split everything five ways. There's no... I don't take more for writing something. Whatever it is, whatever anyone brings to the table and whatever their contribution is, it doesn't matter. It's just split. Done. Because that is the way that you stay together. It's normally money that erodes things. And it's also understanding that some of us are up and some of us are down at different times. And to be sensitive and empathetic to the people that you're playing with. And to know that sometimes you have to pull people along if they're having a low period. And other, you know, and just to understand, you know, people get on your nerves when you're in close quarters, I have to tell you. <laughs> and that's, that in, and you have to understand how to manage that for yourself, whether it's to step away and take some time and, you know, cool yourself off in a corner and just breathe deeply and, you know, know that it'll pass. But you, and, and that comes with, like, age and wisdom, I'm afraid. And when you're in a young band and you've got many, many egos in the room and people that don't understand that the sum of all the parts is actually the part, you know, is actually the main thing. It's not just one thing. It's not just the singer or the guitarist. It's all of us together working as a team. Yes. And that, that comes, you know, with the wisdom and age and time and understanding. And that is why, that's the most thing, the thing that breaks up most bands and why they go at it so tentatively because psychologically that's what's going to get I hope you're paying attention because I will be testing you at the end of this show just to make sure you've been listening. Anyway, look, I realise time is ticking on and um, I'm coming up to the hour and there's still two more parts of the interview which I do particularly think are worth hearing. So I'm not going to play a track. I'm going to get straight back into the interview. And this is where we talk about that great subject that everyone used to talk about in the old days but somehow sort of knocked it on the head. This is about the drugs and drinks within being in a band. Even if you take the drugs and the drink out of it, because I never ever uh, drank or took drugs before I played ever, ever, ever. On tour, I was like in the, in the, like being in the army, you know? Mm. I took it very seriously as a performer. And, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, drinking and drugging going on, but uh, I felt that I had to keep the shit righted, you know, and my hands on the wheel. Um, so, but even if you take that out of it, the sheer exhaustion of it is enough to make you, you know, you hear these stories about like new mothers with young babies that like freak out because they have sleep deprivation. That's, yes. what, that's what it's like on tour. Um, when you're with it in, in you're crammed in a small space with people that are driving you absolutely crazy. And it's also the problem is that <laughs> I, I, when you're young, people do like to try and wind each other up, which is not something that hopefully happens when you're older. But obviously that dynamic. Must well, be- it's, it does happen sometimes, but I I mean, you know, you really need to understand where people are, where they are mentally in their, you know, like I said, people are up and down and you just need to, you just need to understand they have all sorts of different pressures. And, and weirdly, everybody's pressures are the same because we all have the same core fears, you know, in, the, in this world. Yes. We're all vulnerable like each other. There is, you know, no, nobody is like stronger or better or different. Actually, when you strip us all back, we're the same. Yes, this is also this is this is all too true. Actually, mm-hmm. and there was also, I mean, often with a lot of people who leave the band or the band kind of um, stop, 
one or the other. I mean, there's often a bit of a an emptiness that most people feel afterwards of trying to recover from it, but kind of, I suppose, emotionally and sort of almost spiritually, because there was this kind of void that you you think, God, I can't do this anymore. But then suddenly you wake up and and it's over. You know, the band is over. So how did you feel after you sort of left the fall? Okay, well, so I just want to like take it take this down to like a microdose of what you're talking about, which is how how I personally feel when I perform now. Because yes. um, I'm much more aware, like to, for every little nuance. And basically, so on a day of a show, the most important thing for me is the performance in the evening. And my entire day is getting ready for that performance in mentally preparing, like preparing like, you know, all the music, everything so that I am like ready to just go on fire. And when I do the performance, I basically bring down everything. I give it 110%. I think something takes over my body because I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm like literally on fire. And when it's over, so, there people have come up to me who I know really well and I won't even recognize them because something's like happened to me. Like I'm that much of a, a you know, I'm so into it that I'm, uh, I, I just, you know, transmutate into another dimension. The next day, so I feel fantastic afterwards and it takes me about four hours to become normal. Yes. <laughs> um, the next day, I am so low, I feel like, you know, if I don't have another show the next day, I feel bereft because I love doing it so much. So when you, that, and that's only just one day at a time, when you um, take an entire career yeah. and... Um, you know, that career has defined you. And when, and also when you're performing, you know, um, and you go to that place, which so many performers do, I'm not alone, you know, a lot of people will tell you the same thing. Um, when you go to that place, when you're working so closely with the other musicians that, that actually playing music is intuitive and spiritual on a different level. I mean, you look at like gospel singers and church singers and you, you, can, you can basically see God reflected in their faces because they are connecting to their, to their source, whatever that is. And it's incredibly uplifting. So when you do that on a massive scale and you lose that, yes. um, you really have to find something else in your life um, that gives you some kind of passion and satisfaction um, in order to get through the rest of your life. So th that's when I had to invent myself as something else that I, you know, you just, I was lucky because I discovered that I absolutely loved fashion, you know, or I, I loved, I, I really loved working on TV. I love working on TV because especially doing live TV, because that triggered the same thing in my brain as playing live on stage, like that fear that anything could happen and the, the excitement and the adrenaline. Yeah. So I found things that gave me a passion. Yeah. Um, Cause it was, it, yeah, because it was interesting. You, sorry, stop it you. could be anything. It could be gardening. You know, it could be teaching children. It could be writing a book. Um, it 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 could literally be like walking the face of the earth. You just have to find what it is that you love doing. You know. And that was my penultimate part of the interview with Brick Smith. And like I said, this is David Eastor. And if you want to contact me, um, I'm not trying to sound needy here. You can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C eighty six show, and I'll be there. But I do believe I've just been looking at the time i can play another track before the last part of my interview with bricks this is the saints and a track called big hit on the underground
I know, I have to um, slightly edit it because time is ticking on. Anyway, my fourth and final part of the interview with Bricks, where we talk about what she would say to her 18-year-old self. I'm the wrong person to ask that question because throughout my entire life and ever since I was very, very young, I've completely followed my gut instinct and done what, did, you know, even if it was like literally at 18 running a league leaving college to play music because I wanted to and it felt good and joining in the fall I, I I couldn't give myself any advice because I already knew it then right well that's good yes no I was born that way um so it, it you know it's people can I mean most people fear change you know um I guess if I I guess if I really had to if I had to give myself advice it wouldn't be anything specific about music it would be advice that my grandmother used to give me uh, which I found very comforting so she used to have this saying which was this too shall pass meaning nothing lasts forever and if something feels you know if you say if you have a fever just know that this too shall pass it will you know if you're in a sticky situation or a bad situation just know that everything flows and it will change and pretty soon if you're having a bad day tomorrow will be better you know yes. or it will change in some way and and um also at the same time if you're having a great moment and something is just wonderful just realize how great it is at the moment because it will change so just enjoy it so it's really about being in the now Yes. And I'm not freaking out, you know. I used to go to really dark places, um, you know, psychologically and worry that I wasn't going to get out. Um, 
but you do. Every single moment of the day, you have a choice of how to feel. And you can always look at something, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. But if you start looking at half full and looking at all the great things you have in your life, instead of focusing on what you don't have, literally, it will change your life. And luckily, okay, I've had ups and downs. But for the most part, I'm super positive in that way. And I've always been grateful for all the things, you know. And because of that... It just makes following things, you know, following your gut instinct in life so easy because you follow what feels good to you in the moment. Yes. I I mean, what is that thing that, um, to to quote Tony again, he said, where where your focus goes, your energy flows. And I think that's probably the sort of same thing. It's like, what are you focusing on? Because that's what what you're going to spend all your time and energy on. Of course. You know, if you sit there and you sit there, you feel like, oh, my God, I'm old, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm poor, I'm, you know, I don't have any friends, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not successful enough. You'll immediately start to feel terrible right? Terrible. But if you look at it, you go, you know what? I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm beautiful. I'm smart. I have a family that loves me. I've got water to drink. I've got a toilet that flushes. I've got a toothbrush. I've got my teeth. You know, all those things. You'll be like, it's good. It's all good. You know, so I just, (laughs) that it's just about, it's really rampant appreciation. And it's, it's a weird thing that we should talk about this because I have a, I have three tattoos, all of three, but one of them says, I am that I am, to remind myself that I am what I believe I am. And if I sit there and tell myself positive things about me, I'll feel good. But the other thing is, even more important than reminding yourself of the embarrassing moment, is to realize that nothing is ever a mistake and to never blame yourself for making that choice because from that choice, you then reach to where you needed to go. And even things that are perceived as mistakes to other people, or even if you think they're a mistake, they never, ever are. Because you cannot get from A to B without making that choice. It was actually the right thing to do. Yes. Even if it was unpleasant at the time. This is true. So you must know, you know, so I, people say, do you have any regrets? And I'm like, no, I don't have any regrets. I don't have any regrets. None. Because, I mean, even if I made, you know, do you regret marrying this person? No, I most certainly do not. Do you regret, you know, you know, anything? Do you regret, like, I did something that put myself, if you've ever read my book, there's a chapter in it which is pretty horrific, and I put myself in very bad danger and was very badly hurt. Um, and I made a choice to go home with somebody. I made a choice that put me in a very dangerous situation. And do I regret making that choice? No, I do not, because I learned from it, and it actually it wasn't pleasant, but in a way, I, you know, that's, that was the choice I made, and I had to grow from it, and it's really a really heavy thing. Yes. But, mm-hmm. but, I, but I did, and now I look back, and I think, you know what, I mean, it, it could have gone either way, but I have to gain strength from a very bad situation, and if I hadn't been in that situation, I wouldn't have the be the empathetic person I am now. And that, dear listener, is the last part of me, my interview with Brick Smith. And like I said, she's got new material coming out as Bricks and the Extricated, but time is ticking on, so I'm going to have to say farewell. Thank you for listening. And stay tuned for next week, because I'm sure there'll be another special. Anyway, this has been David Esau, The C86 Show, and this is from the Adult Net, and this is Incense and Peppermints. Peppermints.